Welcome to the Speech Uncensored podcast. I'm Leanne Porter, a medical speech and language pathologist on a quest to nourish my brain so that my practice can flourish. Join me as I interview Brooke Richardson on the topic of respiratory muscles training. So Brooke tours nationally and internationally to spread the word on how RMT can and should be part of your practice when working with patients with dysphagia and cough deficits. Brooke is seeped in the literature and brings out the most effective research to support and empower this course of treatment. So without further ado, here's Brooke and I nerding out about RMT. Welcome to the podcast, Brooke. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me. It is a delight. I am so excited to learn more about RMT, respiratory muscle training and swallowing, which is like your bag of honey. I don't know where that came from. Why do these things happen to me? That's good though. Tasty. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about how you got into this. Tell me more about you. What is it you do on a daily basis and why are you such an expert in RMT and swallowing? Well, I don't consider myself an expert in anything um, because I'm always <laughs> learning, um, but I am really passionate about RMT. So on a daily basis, I work in the hospital. I am primarily based right now in acute care, but I have worked in acute care and outpatient. I've had a little dabbling in skilled nursing. I didn't do any respiratory muscle training there, um, but essentially I've started, I started the program at UNC Rex Hospital for inpatients and at one of our outpatient clinics. And um, it's part of our early progressive mobility program at UNC Rex Hospital to try and help with vent weaning, which is not something that I'm going to be talking about today. Um, but on, on the whole, for our entire hospital structure and for many of our outpatients, the focus tends to be more on swallowing. Mm. So, um, I'm really passionate about it, and I was crazy enough to listen to my lovely colleagues and friends when they told me I should teach a course in it. So here I am a year later. Um, it's, it's very exciting, very exciting. So yeah, you get to travel like all over the country, and you teach this classes to people like live in their hospitals. They advertise for it as well and get other SLPs in the community to come and learn more about this. Right. Yep. And um, last November, I taught a webinar to Australia. Oh, fun. And, yeah, which was crazy because it ended up being a 14-hour time difference. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, and then this year, I'm going to be going to Ireland as well. And I think next year, I'm going to be going to Hong Kong. I, it's, it's just... Okay. Get it, Brooke. That's <laughs> it's amazing. I love that. That's yes, so, so I get incredible. to combine my passion for speech, travel, and teaching. It's, it's a dream come true. That is the most beautiful trifecta you put on there, like um, a hammock and a fruity drink. And I'm like, that's heaven. That's paradise. That sounds great. I'm sure we can make that happen. Right. Oh, I'm excited for you. That's so terrific. <laughs> Thank okay, you. Goals. This is amazing. Please continue. <laughs> um, so should I dive into a little bit about respiratory muscle training? Yes, please. Okay. So how much do you know about it? Okay. So here's, here's my understanding. Um, you use a, a, a device, uh, some that come to mind. I've seen people talk about something called a breather. There's also the EMST 150. 
Um, and yeah, like to do this, you need a device that they exhale through that gives resistance. So they have to like push harder. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And, uh, so there are different kinds of devices that are available. The breather is one, but that is a resistance-based device. So if you think about blowing through straws of different diameters, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you're familiar with bubble tea, but those straws are huge. Yes. Uh, yes. So really, it would be easy to blow through that, right? Yeah. And pair that down to, say, a McDonald's milkshake straw and then just your typical drinking straw. And I'm not promoting uh, throwing plastic into the ocean for our sea turtles. But, so pretend these are all stainless steel straws. Um, <laughs> and then all the way down to a coffee stir, right? So that's sort of what the breather is, is a resistance-based uh, device. So it's, it's not technically what is supported in the literature, though. Okay. It's uh, really heavily marketed and really popular because I think because it does inspiratory and expiratory muscle training. Oh. Um, all in one device, right? All with one mouthpiece. Yeah, but, that sounds attractive. I'm sorry? I said that sounds attractive, like on a, you know, a financial and just a utility kind of perspective. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Um, but that's that's not what the research is in support of. So that's your pressure threshold trainer which EMS T150 is one type mm-hmm. and pretty much it's a spring loaded device and the person or patient has to um, generate enough pressure and that requires muscle strength and not necessarily airflow like a resistive device would. Oh, okay. um, and that, that air pressure from your respiratory muscles has to overcome this threshold or this little diaphragm on the other end of the spring to push the air through. So respiratory muscle training, uh, expiratory muscle training or EMT is part of it. And that's the part that gets the most love. That's what I'm going to focus on mostly today because that's where, at least in the speech field, it's really hot right now because that's where swallowing can improve. But there's also inspiratory muscle training or IMT. And that can be more for people with vocal cord dysfunction or PVFM, um, trach and vent weaning. It's that part is the dumbbell for the diaphragm. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're going to focus mostly today on expiratory muscle training because that's where the research tends to show uh, benefit for swallowing. Um, so it's important to know when you're talking about respiratory muscle training, the principles of strength training and, and what our skeletal muscles do. So you may remember back from grad school, there are different types of skeletal muscles. There's type one and type two and fast twitch and slow twitch. So the predominant oropharyngeal musk or the predominant type in oropharyngeal musculature is type two or fast twitch. Mm -hmm. And if you read the article in the show notes um, by Burkhead Sapienza and Rosenbeck, it's, it's a beautiful article about the principles of strength training. And this doesn't just apply to respiratory muscle training, but it should apply to all of our strength training principles when we're talking about trying to improve the musculature for swallowing and not, say, compensating. So for respiratory muscle training and for everything else, there's intensity, specificity, and transference. Those sound like principles of neuroplasticity. They sure do. Saline's (laughs) in there, too. (laughs) Um. So intensity is, is when we're talking about respiratory muscle training, 
you want to overload the muscles. You want to apply adequate load, but not too much load to where the, the patient can't perform an adequate number of repetitions, right? It's just like going to the gym. I'm a weakling. So if I were to pick up a hundred pound um, dumbbell, right? Barbell, whatever. See, I'm yes, I don't even know what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> but if I were to pick um, a hundred pounder up, I could maybe pick it up once and not be able to repeat it again. So that wouldn't really improve my strength. It would wear me out that one time, but it wouldn't improve my strength because I couldn't um, load those muscles adequately to actually impose any strength changes on them. So I would have to choose the right weight dumbbell where I could do, say, 25 repetitions, feel some muscle fatigue, and continue on for the next several weeks. And over those next several weeks, I would be applying the principles of progressive overload, which is where I start maybe at the 25-pound dumbbell. But then as that gets easier, I go maybe to the 30 pound and then the 35 and the 40. So that's progressive overload. And that principle is really important for respiratory muscle training too. We don't start somebody at one threshold and keep them there. We want to make their strength greater. So we're going to progressively overload those muscles. Specificity is another part of this, and that is targeting the muscles that you want to target. Uh, for swallowing, that tends to be the submental musculature for expiratory muscle training. And I've got some articles that you'll be sharing in the show notes that support that. And I'll talk about that a little bit more specifically too. And transference is another principle. So um, we've all heard the best exercise for swallowing is swallowing. And I still cannot find anyone who knows where that came from. Do you know? Uh-uh. Yeah. Nobody, no. nobody knows where it came from, but everybody has heard it. <laughs> yep. Um, so Expiratory muscle training is not a swallowing exercise, right? You blow through a device. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that by strengthening those submental muscles, then the principle of transference suggests that those muscles will improve functionally during swallowing. So those are sort of the, the big principles there. Does that all sound familiar? <laughs> okay. Yes. Yes. Um, so respiratory muscle training in a nutshell if you read the article by Sapienza Pitts and Davenport, it's an exercise-based therapy. And the goal is to strengthen the muscles by increasing their force-generating capacity. And as I alluded to earlier, there are different types of devices, but the, those that I recommend are those that are supported by the literature, the pressure threshold devices, EMST 150, uh, the Threshold PEP by Phillips Respironics is the other expiratory muscle trainer. There are some available overseas, but I've tried to get them, and they say that it's going to cost like $600 to ship them to me, and I can't afford that. Um, <laughs> yeah, nor could any patients. Like, that's wild. Exactly. I mean, if, if we're talking about patients not being able to afford, say, a $50 EMST-150, I'm, I'm not going to bother with the $600 trainer from Europe. Um, yeah. And then there's an inspiratory muscle trainer that is the, it's also by Philips Respironics. It's the Threshold IMT. So mm. those are the three that I talk about the most. I don't get paid to talk about them. I use them in my daily practice and I'm a believer in them. So that's, that's why I talk about them. Okay. What do you yeah, know about, think, sorry, go ahead. Um, I think a representative for the, uh, what's that company's name again? Is it Philiptronics? Uh, Philips or, Respironics. 
Phillips Respironics, thank you for clarifying that. I was way off. Um, They dropped off some of their um, expiratory muscle strength trainers. And we were trying to like uh, try those out and see if we wanted to request that like our department stock those and have those handy. Um, But they, they just kind of left them with us. And we're like, I mean, sure, blow through it. But like, I need a little more handholding through this. Like, give me some steps. What's appropriate? What's inappropriate? Where do I start patients? Where's a good place for them to start, you know? And so I haven't been able to move forward with that, really. Right. Yeah, it's really funny because I've been in touch with Phillips, um, trying to convince them to have me train their folks in, in what it means for speech, because these really were respiratory therapy devices. And in fact, when we started the inpatient program at UNC Rex, um, the RT manager came up to my manager and said, oh, look, we found these in our closet. Could you use them? And they said, yes. So they were just <laughs> <laughs> they were just shriveling up in a respiratory therapy closet somewhere. Um, but anyhow, yeah, I'm trying to convince Phillips to uh, have me train their folks because... Yeah. Here, here. They need that. Yeah. I mean, they could really, I mean, there's a market for it. Like when you can empower people, like we love the, you know, free samples, so to speak, but they're kind of useless if we don't know exactly how to implement them appropriately with patients. Like here's a great tool, but if you're not using it right, you're not going to get results. Right. And, and you have to select the right device for your patient. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I'm a nerd, so I like to play a little guessing game. <laughs> I'm not shy about it. Um, I like to play a little guessing game when I go to see our patients. And I'll use our cardiac hospital, for example, because they tend to have really severe respiratory muscle weakness in addition to just generalized deconditioning mm-hmm. or as a part of their generalized deconditioning. So if I do an evaluation in that hospital, I'll take a look at the patient from the doorway and I'll go, hmm. I think they're going to need a PEP. I don't think they're going to be able to use the EMS T150. I don't think they'll be strong enough for that. And half the time I'm right, but the other half of the time I'm wrong. So it's really important to be able to take accurate measurements of your patient's strength so that you can choose the device that's appropriate for them. You know, probably 90% of your outpatients are going to be appropriate for an EMS T150, but I had a lady with ALS who could not use the EMS T150. So she was a Phillips threshold PEP sort of a gal. Mm -hmm. Um, Inpatient is primarily though, where you're going to be using those, those lower threshold devices. Yeah. Um, Do you ever use like a um, aerobica? Is it aerobica or aerobica? Like how do you? I call it the aerobica because it makes me think aerobics, but I Uh have coworkers who say aerobica. So I don't know. I call it the aerobica. You and I agree. This is good. Yeah. Um, yes. So that is different from a respiratory muscle trainer. That is a secretion clearance device, right? Mm-hmm. Have you ever blown into one? Yes. It's weird, right? It's like a yes. fluttering in your chest. Yes. It's so, and it's so, I guess I was expecting like, more flutter, like more issue. And it was just this gentle little, like, you know, yeah, and sorry. I was like, Yes. And yeah. I was like, that's gonna like get secretions moving. I like, I guess I expected more like a, like a, it was really going to jazz me up or something. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if you were lying in the hospital bed with really awful pneumonia and you were 80 years old, maybe it would make yeah, more of a difference. 
That's that's a very good illustration. Thank you. Like I was like, that's who that device is made for. <laughs> yeah, you seem pretty ambulatory and healthy, I think. <laughs> that's true. I can just cough my own, you know, secretions out. But. Yes, yes. <laughs> Um, so yeah, sometimes I'll use something like the aerobica, um, along with respiratory muscle training in order to improve a patient's cough. So it's not that the aerobica improves the respiratory muscle strength for the cough. That's what our inspiratory and expiratory trainers are for. But if I can work on strengthening the muscles for cough, and we can also use the aerobica to loosen up all that junk in there then that might lead to improved cough efficacy in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so on the note of cough, uh, Dr. Troche um, and colleagues wrote an article about the shared substrates of airway protection. And there's that's also in the show notes. I'm hoping that everything I referenced today is what I sent you in the show notes. If not, I'll send mm-hmm. you extras. Let me know. <laughs> okay, um, But it's a really nice article because it's got sort of this spectrum of airway protective behaviors. I think they call it a continuum. And if you think about it, swallowing is maybe our first protective behavior, right? It's it's our first line of defense. So if we swallow and we protect our airway, we have protected our airway. We don't necessarily need to cough from a swallowing aspiration standpoint. And there are these other behaviors along the continuum and cough is at the end, right? Because if, if everything else has failed, then hopefully your cough is intact and you can clear everything out. Um, so that's a really important article to read. And that helps to support the use of inspiratory and expiratory muscle training because cough requires adequate inspiratory muscle force. You have to have decent compression uh, via the vocal folds typically, and then expiratory muscle force. So just because somebody has a perceived weak cough uh, doesn't necessarily mean that the cough is actually weak, right? Yeah. So when we rolled out the program at UNC Rex, we when we talked about weak cough, we said we can't just say this objectively. And I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of peak cough flow today because... Oh, no, I was like getting so excited because that's a thing for me. I was like, I really hate, you know, we all have that line on like our assessments for documenting, like, right, the cough or like, how was the cough? And it's like, I was like, what do I say now? I think I just free typed something. And it was like, oh, I can't. Okay, I can't think of it on the spot because I don't want to like say it wrong and like embarrass myself later. But yes, it's like, okay, subjectively, like it sounded weak, but can they clear secretions? Was it enough to get something out of their airway? And how would you know that at bedside? Like, what are the norms? What's no. the, what's the, what force do they need to be able to generate that we could compare and know, right? Okay, so exactly. maybe that's not the future. Projects, everybody. though. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have many, many projects that I want to work on. Um, but so I'll, I'll use the term cough or swallow was perceived to be, Mm -hmm. but I am certainly not diagnosing a weak or an adequate cough at bedside. So when we started our program at Rex, the cough had to be shown to be ineffective if somebody aspirated on a fees or a modified. And that was how we, we talked about improving cough function for our respiratory muscle training program. Cause if the cough is weak and they're not clearing the barium out of their airway, that's that's where we can get our information from, but from a bedside, absolutely not. 
Okay. So you do not implement any of these tools unless you have done imaging and you have seen that person attempt to cough under video with the barium in their airway and it did not clear with acute cough. Right. Yep. So if... If I think somebody's cough is weak, this kind of goes back to what I was saying with our, our cardiac patients before. I can guess that somebody's cough is weak and I get them under fluoro or on a fees and I go, well, what do you know? It's actually fine. <laughs> or the opposite is true, right? So mm-hmm. we're really mm-hmm. just guessing. Yeah. And so that is something that we require is some sort of visualization via instrumentation, at least as of now, until we get some peak cough flow stuff going. Um, But that is the requirement, right? To work on cough, we have to know whether it's effective or not. Why am I going to treat something if if I don't know if it's impaired? I mean, what if their swallowing isn't even impaired? Why am I doing expiratory muscle training or an effortful swallow or what have you? I'm big on instrumentation in case you can't tell. And I'm very fortunate. I have fees and modifieds available to me. Um, and I think everybody should. Okay, off my soapbox, back to RMT. <laughs> I know I, I am too very fortunate that I work in a facility where it is available. And so I can say we have to hold treatment on this person until they can have the video. And it, it won't take two or three weeks for them to get that video or get imaging accomplished. So like, because that's, that's another barrier too. Like, sure, it might get done, but it's going to be a while. So then people are left wondering, like, do I just ignore this patient in the meantime? Like what? should I do or not do between now and when, you know, the imaging is going to happen. Right. And I think back to when I was a clinical fellow and, oh my gosh, talk about having no clinical skills, you know, 10 years down the road, I'm like, I, I, I learned so much. Right. But you're, you're a fresh grad. And then I didn't always have access to instrumentation. We didn't have fees at that hospital. We only had so many radiology slots a day. And, and I know that I'm not the only one who's been through this because I'm on Facebook all the time and I, um, <laughs> I see what other people are going through and I can totally empathize. But I remember, um, I don't care if you're a clinical fellow or you're 10 years into your career or 25, what have you, you can make a best guess, but you're guessing whether you have 25 years of experience in your BCSS or you're a brand new grad. And I remember having to do swallowing exercises with people and really not understanding the rationale, right? It was like, oh, well, their, their larynx doesn't elevate. Well, now that's proven not to be reliable at bedside, right? Um, so yeah, so definitely I don't use respiratory muscle training and I don't do any sort of strengthening exercises unless I can prove that there's a weakness or an impairment. That's really important to me. And that's whether that's for cough or swallow. I mean, I wouldn't just go in and and treat somebody with aphasia or for aphasia if I haven't actually determined the presence of aphasia, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my, I went off on the soapbox tangent. Well, I mean, I took you there, so, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Hey, did you know that you can earn CEUs on a cruise? The 2020 Conference at Sea with SpeechTherapyPD.com is from July 10th to July 17th, 2020. You can earn 12 hours of continuing education while enjoying the scenic views of the Alaskan coast. If you register for the cruise before September 30th, 2019, you will receive a special free six-month SLP Now subscription and a one-year premium, they call it professional subscription, to SpeechTherapyPD.com. 
when you pay for the cruise CEU portion. So it's all included. It's amazing. You're getting 12 CEUs at sea. You're going on a cruise. You're getting access to an entire year of amazing pod courses and video courses and six months of the SLP Now subscription. So it's like tons of amazing stuff, you guys. Um, the Royal Caribbean's Radiance of the Seas sails around trip from Vancouver, BC on July 10th, 2020 for the seven-day trip that stops in six awe-inspiring Canadian and Alaskan locations before returning to port on July 17th. So join me, Michelle and Marisha, my other podcast hosts, as we balance excellent CEU opportunities with some sweet vacay time on a very large boat. Be sure to visit speechtherapypd.com slash cruise to learn more and sign up. I'll see you there. <clears throat> and now we're back. <laughs> <laughs> so should we dive into swallowing and expiratory muscle training? Okay. So I'm going to be speaking more to expiratory muscle training um, because, as I said earlier, that's that's more where the literature supports improvements in swallowing. Um, inspiratory is for cough and other things. But um, what do you know, Leanne, about swallowing and expiratory muscle training? Okay. So not a lot. Um, as, as you've mentioned in the previous minutes, like there's a connection and it's been proven to help, even though, you know, the word on the street these days is the best exercise for swallowing is swallowing. And so um, using a tool like this, you're not swallowing at all, but there's been research that's proven that this is effective in improving, strengthening the swallow. Um, getting healthier swallows. Like that's about all I know. Like it's good for it. I couldn't tell you much more than that. Right. So you're, you're on the right track. The best exercise for swallowing or swallowing is the uh, principle of specificity, right? Mm -hmm. So for expiratory muscle training, this is a non-swallowing task. So this is the principle of transference. We're strengthening the same muscle group although we're not doing a swallowing task with the hope that the strength or the skill um, in this case, mostly strength is going to transfer over to a swallowing task. Okay. Um, there's a lot, well, I shouldn't say a lot relatively for speech. There's a lot of literature out there for uh, respiratory or expiratory muscle training. And More than three. It yes. is like a lot for us. <laughs> yes. And it's mostly these brilliant women in Florida. So <laughs> they tend to just be brilliant at everything they do in speech, um, including respiratory muscle training. Mm -hmm. So I talk about um, work from, well, and Rosenbeck, he's not a woman. He's just he's <laughs> usually involved. <laughs> um, but Dr. Wheeler slash Hegland slash Wheeler Hegland, um, whatever iteration um, she does beautiful work. Chris Sapienza does beautiful work. Emily Plowman is doing work with the ALS population, which kind of blew my mind mm -hmm. because I was told, uh, teach them how to compensate and discharge, you know, yep. good luck. Um, so there's, there's literature for inspiratory muscle training and ALS as well. That doesn't have to do with the swallowing part, but I, I do speak to that in my course. But Dr. Plowman is doing expiratory muscle training. I believe that uh, Silverman and Tabor, who I think is now Tabor Gray, um, also do expiratory muscle training. 
and ALS. So there's the article that I have in the show notes for Dr. Plowman or by Dr. Plowman showed that there was improved hyoid displacement when they did expiratory muscle training with folks with ALS. Hurt That study didn't show any improvement in their cough or penetration aspiration scale scores, but they did have physiologic improvements, measurable improvements in their hyoid displacement. So perhaps if they were to continue or do the program a little bit differently, it's possible that this could then transfer into improved swallowing safety or efficiency or both. So that's really exciting, um, especially since our field tends to kind of shy away from treating people with ALS. Dr. Plowman is taking the bull by the horns for sure. That's yeah, that's awesome. I, I also get really excited by people just being like, oh, what's the standard of care? Mm, let's flip that on its head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Over and over again. <laughs> and yeah, really really beautiful studies too. I mean, they're, they're so well done. These, these researchers are just brilliant. I don't know if their brains grow bigger in Florida or something. I don't know. <laughs> well, Dr. Uh, from Australia, so I guess we can give Australia some credit too. Yeah. Um, shout out to Australia. Hey, <laughs> um, so ALS is one population where this is being studied. Parkinson's tends to be the biggest population. I think that's where I see on Facebook, people will say, Oh, I saw that uh, expiratory muscle training is good for people with Parkinson's disease. That's that's the most common population I see this used in. And for good reason, there's improvements in their speech, but also improvements in their cough and swallowing function. The Pitts article that is in the show notes uh, studied 10 men with Parkinson's disease, and they did a four-week program of expiratory muscle training. And the results of that study were that their penetration aspiration scale scores improved, their maximal expiratory pressures, which is sort of the surrogate measurement of of expiratory muscle strength, Mm -hmm. improved, and certain parameters of their cough improved. They had these crazy terms for cough um, in their articles, but the, the, in the article, but the point is that there were parameters of their cough function that did improve. So not only if you're thinking back to the Troche article, of the continuum of airway protective um, deficits. Not only are we improving their penetration aspiration scale scores on the one end, so hopefully just improving sort of that proactive swallowing safety, we're also improving the other end, which is that cough or that reactive swallowing safety. So the idea is maybe those substrates can all improve with expiratory muscle training, at least in the Parkinson's population. Mm-hmm. And we know that pneumonia is, I think, the number one mortality cause in people with Parkinson's disease. That sounds. If it's not number one, it's up there. <laughs> yes, it's it's it'll get you. It'll, it'll get you. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, so those are a couple of populations where it's it's being studied more and more, but generally speaking. Um, there, there's really good evidence coming out about the submental musculature and how that can improve as a result of expiratory muscle training. Okay. And so the submental muscle group, is that this area here, like that's right up under your chin? Like, could yes. you kind of describe and explain that? Yep. So it's, it's the muscle group that's right under your chin. Um, and if you think about it, that's going to be part, um, part of the hyoid movement, 
right? So that's going to help to move the hyoid up and forward and really the whole hyolaryngeal complex up and forward. Okay. So if you think about um, treating somebody with expiratory muscle training because of their dysphagia, it's really important to think about why and when they're aspirating. Again, this kind of comes back to the instrumental thing. But if they're aspirating before the swallow because their tongue is not controlling the bolus, that doesn't really have anything to do with hyaluryngeal excursion, right? That's mm-hmm. all about lingual control. So assuming that's the cause of the aspiration and their cough is adequate to clear the airway, they're probably not going to be a great candidate for expiratory muscle training. Whereas if you have somebody who, let's say, has a history of head and neck cancer, they've been through chemo and RADS, and they have really impaired hyalurongeal excursion and an impaired cough, that person is on the very other end of the spectrum where they're um, assuming they're cognitively intact enough to blow through the device, um, they're going to be a home run. So you really need to think about why a person is aspirating. You need to make sure that they are aspirating in the first place, um, that they have an impaired cough, or they have really weak hyaluryngeal excursion, even if they don't aspirate, if they have impaired hyaluryngeal excursion and their swallowing is not efficient, they have a ton of residue um, and that places them at risk for malnutrition or aspiration or other complications of dysphagia, then that's another case where you could use expiratory muscle training. Okay. Yeah, that was great. That's really helpful. That's kind of like the keys that I feel I need the most. It's like, because I I am such a victim of once I get um, a hammer, everything's a nail. And I want to use this tool with like everybody who walks in the door. I'm like, I go Oprah on everybody. I'm yes. like, you get an EMSD, you get it. We're all doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and a lot of people do, um, you know, whether that's using the IOP with people or, um, <laughs> using the effortful pitch glide, what have you. A lot of people do say, oh my gosh, I have a new tool. Let's use it. Mm-hmm. So it is important to really use your critical thinking. And first of all, understand what swallowing physiology is all about and what's going on with that patient and why, and mm-hmm. then figure out the treatment plan. Man, I just go off on these soapbox tangents. No, but that's so important. <laughs> these are these are these are skills and things that I didn't quite get a grasp on in my early schooling and early training. And so, um, I th- I think there's a big shift now that that's happening. So now more and more people are hearing it, but I think it still needs to be said. So yeah, please continue. <laughs> and um, I graduated in '08, and I just think, gosh, how much swallowing knowledge has changed just since I graduated. And I think back to the early, early stages of swallowing research and, and, and how much things just continue to change. And, um, for me, it's really important that I continue to update my practice Mm -hmm. and update my knowledge base. So I just signed up for Humbert and Plowman's, uh, normal swallowing 101. I did that. It is so good. (laughs) My manager was like, um, Leanne, why are you doing this? You do? like, I thought I thought you already treat this. I thought you learned this in school. And I'm like, oh, okay, yes, the title is misleading. Um, and then I was like struggling on how to explain it to her. Like, right. Oh, right. right. Yeah. I, I, I really can't wait because I, I might have had a slightly more robust education in dysphagia than some people from what I've heard. 
Mm -hmm. Um, you know, especially since I only graduated in 08 compared to people who graduated in, you know, 89, right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't an elective for me. It was a required class, but it was one class and it's 95% of what I do on a daily basis. It's just mind boggling. Um, Uh but I'm I'm really excited to take that class because I, I, uh, they're so smart. It is so so good. Like they completely revolutionized how I started considering like what, yeah, they just, they reshape and reformat how you approach it. And it's, I I feel like that should be a requirement for everybody graduating is taking like that kind of a course, that class. And then maybe like, I I would go so far as to say like every practicing clinician should have access to it because if you are treating dysphagia, like you should be able to check yourself off on all the stuff that they cover in that course. I cannot wait to take it. Can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I need to go back and review it. (laughs) Yeah. I took CTDM, but I did a lot of it when I was at the gym and I was like, man, I still don't have a figure like those two. Like I thought my brain grew, but like my muscles aren't any better. I want to look like (laughs) Dr. Humbert, Dr. Plowman. (laughs) So at least my brain muscle worked out. Um, (laughs) um, Okay. Back to swallowing and expiratory muscle training. Um, Okay. Which article do I want to talk about first? I'll just kind of talk in generalities, I guess. So expiratory muscle training increases and prolongs the activity of submental musculature, especially when you compare it to a swallow. So a swallow happens a normal swallow happens over what a millisecond. I don't even know. Very, very split second. But when you do expiratory muscle training, it's slightly longer than that split second. So the, the idea is that you're overloading the muscles. You're, you're putting them beyond their normal task. And so your load is higher, but your duration of that load is also higher. Does that make Mm -hmm. sense? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So Wheeler, Hegland, Rosenbeck, and Sapienza did a study where they placed submental SEMG electrodes and compared an effortful swallow, a normal swallow, a Mendelssohn, and expiratory muscle training in healthy individuals. And they found that the swallow tasks had greater hyoid displacement than EMT tasks which again, if you're talking about the best exercise for swallowing is swallowing, that is why. Um, but there is improved or increased motor recruitment of the submental motor complex with expiratory muscle training. And they do see that transfer over to swallowing. So that transference principle does apply. They have found that if we strengthen those muscles, even on a non-swallowing task, such as EMT, then swallowing can improve as a result of that. Um, there are some implications too, right? So we, we talked a minute ago about how we need to figure out whether somebody is aspirating or whether they have dysphagia and why. Mm-hmm. So the implications are if, if we're doing expiratory muscle training and we're improving the hyalurongeal complex movement, um, implications are going to be swallowing safety, like airway protection, swallowing efficiency, so maybe less residue, and then maybe UES or PES, whatever you want to call it, opening, right? Because we talk about the synchronous movements between the hyalurongeal complex and the upper esophageal sphincter relaxing. So there are some implications there as well. 
And if you think about the Shakir, it's kind of the same thing, right? The Shakir, the head lift. Um, it's not a swallowing based exercise, but you are strengthening those muscles and hopefully improving hyalurgical excursion and UES opening. Um, and the UES is the upper esophageal sphincter and the yes. PES is the um, pharyngoesophageal segment. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I do speak in acronyms. <laughs> well, yeah, like most likely most people like know those by now and everything, but I, I've seen that I have listeners from like a lot of different countries. And so there'll be different acronyms or different terms. And so I always like to clarify what Thank we're talking you. about. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> oh my, me and my acronyms, it's the worst. Uh, <laughs> sidebar. My husband is also a med SLP. We met in no grad way. school. Yeah. But uh, I started in acute care and he started in acute rehab and I would, I would just come home and talk blah, 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 blah. Cause I was just such a nerd. Like I still am today. And, and he'd go, why, why are you talking in acronyms? And he never got it. He, he thought I was just doing this to be cool or something. And then when he started working in acute care, he's like, oh, <laughs> Yeah. Like everything is acronyms, like half, like when you're doing, um, a PMH, you know, like, um, past medical history, it's all in acronyms, like all the, like, I don't know, types of disorders or disease processes or just whatever their health systems are. Like everything is an acronym, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, it, it took a few years, but he finally came around and realized I was right. <laughs> I've never let him forget that. Um, <laughs> And now the world knows. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because the whole world is listening to me talk because I'm very important. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, once it's out on the interwebs, like it's accessible to That's the whole true. world. <laughs> That's true. I should be careful what I say. Um, <laughs> so the, the last article that I want to reference today is by my gal, Kate Hutchison out at MD Anderson Cancer Center. She's another brilliant researcher, Texas and not Florida. I, I don't know, but I, I know she's friends with the Florida gal. So I think everything is okay. Um, but she, um, I actually got to meet her. She's lovely and brilliant and perfect in every way. And I've told her she's my speech crush. So this is not news. Um, but she was telling me this study that she did in 2017, they did uh, EMG in these different muscle groups. So not SEMG, EMG with this the needles. Stuff, needles inside the muscle beds. That's impressive. How did they get, they got some straight up good clearance for that action. Well, so I guess that they had, it was an N of two. And I, I can't remember if they were undergrads or grad students, but they paid them something like 40 bucks and allowed the researchers to stick needles in their swallowing muscles. Um, and I told her, I was like, I was, I'm such a geek. I totally would have done that too. Like I would have been that student. Um, but anyhow, they, they did EMG and, um, manometry. So they Ooh. did, I know, so smart, so smart. And they found pretty much what was expected, which is a good thing was mm -hmm. that the muscle groups they studied they expected these muscle groups to have an improved contraction or improved movement or improved recruitment, if you want to, to call it that, um, with expiratory muscle training compared to at rest. 
compared to a 10 cc water swallow. Um, and that the more load that you applied, so let's say you're doing the expiratory muscle training, a load of, I'm just going to make up some numbers, 30 centimeters of water versus 50 centimeters of water versus 70 centimeters of water. The higher that load was, the more activity that was present in the group. So that's really good because that's the whole theory behind expiratory muscle training, right? Is the more load that you give something, the harder the muscle group is going to work. And therefore, that's going to transfer over into improved strength and improved function because that's really what we're all about. We can measure strength all day, but if the function is not there, what was the point? So the groups that they studied were the pharyngeal musculature. And I cannot imagine having any needles in my pharynx, but there you go. Um, so <laughs> oh, like needles in my neck. How yeah. interesting. <laughs> right. Right. Um, so that, that improved, that was less so than with the swallow. So a swallow is still sort of the, the ideal task for the pharyngeal musculature, but the submental musculature and interestingly enough, velar musculature showed increased contraction. And that article has a really nice picture of somebody at rest and somebody it's a fluoro somebody at rest. And then that same person blowing into the expiratory muscle training device. And you can see that the velum is actually elevated and, and the port is closed off. Oh, okay. Good. Okay. I was wondering about that. I was like, how are they putting needles in the velum? That's way too interior, but they were just measuring that on um, fluoro. Is that right? They did see that on floor. I could swear they put me needles in them though. You'd have to go like way deep. Like that's a long needle. I don't know, man. It's terrible. It's, it's terrifying to think about. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll have to review that one. What um, I know about anatomy with needles and it's scaring me. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously I'm just going to have to go find that article and read it. Cause now I'm intrigued. I'll click my own show notes is what I'm saying. <laughs> I know. Um, yeah. So at least look at the picture. It's, it's really remarkable because, um, you know, again, this was in two healthy, so it's a small in and, and healthy people compared to say somebody who has a brainstem stroke, right. But somebody with actual weakness or an actual impairment, but I think the implications are really interesting. Um, and Dr. Hutchison has also done some work with people who are head and neck cancer survivors. And I'm, I don't want to misquote the study, but there was one study that she had done where the mean time from their treatment was 96 months, which if you think about it is eight years wow. from their chemo radiation. And, and they showed improvements in their swallowing safety and efficiency um, after doing some expiratory muscle training. So really exciting stuff coming out these days. That's awesome. Yeah. So those were the main articles or the main points I wanted to talk about today. Um, I do talk about this. I have a seven and a half hour course um, that I give live and I'm going to try and figure out if I can squeeze time into my life to record a webinar. Um, <laughs> but I, I do talk about that in a lot more depth in my course. And is of course, inspiratory muscle training and and, and how both of these things can improve cough and vent weaning and voice and speech and, of course, swallowing, all sorts of good stuff. 
Yeah. Well, thank you for like a, a preview of that, like a snippet, like an idea of all the things that you cover and then how um, RMT can be such an important tool that we can use with people to help them achieve their goals of returning to a regular diet and overcoming their dysphagia. So Absolutely. thank you, Brooke. You are welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah. All right. Um, just a couple more quick questions, if I may. Of course. I have my paper. Are you ready? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Am I? <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm going to give you three and I, just pick one. Okay. Okay. So um, option number one, um, what's the best thing about being an SLP who practices using um, RMT um, or name your uh, a, a researcher or a clinician who's had um, a pretty good impact on your practice, maybe at like a pivotal point or something like that. And then third option is um, how do you fill your brain with SLP goodness? So what's the choice? Wow. I don't know. Those are really good questions. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh. I don't know. I feel like so many people have influenced me. So that would take me down a deep, dark rabbit hole. <laughs> and not just for RMT, just, you know, daily, daily practice. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I feed my brain with SLP goodness? My husband, who is also a med SLP, will tell you that I live, breathe, and sleep med SLP. So I am constantly feeding my brain with goodness, whether it is trying to find the time to listen to a podcast, which I admit is challenging, or doing some sort of continuing education. Um, If I can do online continuing ed, so I do MedBridge. And, um, so if, if I can find time to do a little snippet of MedBridge, I will listen to it or watch it when I'm driving in my car. I mean, I literally live med SLP all the time. (laughs) Um, I'm on a bunch of Facebook groups and Mm -hmm. I don't only get my information from Facebook groups. And I think it's important that people think about that too, you know, use these things as guidance, um, and maybe a place to start finding some more knowledge, but don't stop yeah. at the Facebook group. Right. What, what I find really helpful with the Facebook groups is it, uh, it's, a, it's an awareness tool. Like I learn what other people are using or maybe what they're exploring or getting into. And then I do my own research. Would that be something I could use? Is that a research-based tool? Like, you know, what? you kind of have to do some study with some of those things people throw out there and figure out, or also just note, like there are researchers, there are like clinicians who do the research and publish, re- publish research who are on these um, Facebook groups as well. And so when they talk, I listen because yes, absolutely they're, they're often referencing things that like are our guidelines, you know, exactly, Not exactly. Kind of like old wives tales or whatever. I know, I know. Um, yeah, don't get me started on that either. Uh, (laughs) so I I do a lot of those things. I also sign up for alerts through, um, or from the dysphagia journal. Mm -hmm. I think I've signed up for that through my hospital library. I try and read SIG 13 some of the time. Um, I talk to my colleagues. We've started a journal club at work. So just constantly trying to make best practice a thing. Yeah. Like for you, it's a lifestyle. Like you said, you eat, <laughs> breathe, and sleep med SLP. So. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. My poor four-year-old being raised by two medical SLPs. We'll see. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be the super SLP. <laughs> she, 
She's already she? straight away from smoking because she saw a picture of a laryngectomy over my shoulder. <laughs> my poor child. <laughs> Raise her right. Raise her right. Yes. All right. Um, okay. Do you have any parting words of inspiration or encouragement for our listening audience? Keep up the good fight. Keep doing the good work. Always advocate for instrumentation if you can. Don't treat without it if you can avoid it. Um, Seek out really good, robust training. You know, sometimes people just try and do things on their own. And it's not just respiratory muscle training. um, But I do see a lot of that is people try and just do this stuff on their own and wing it. That's not a very effective way of doing anything, right? So if if you can, whether it's RMT or anything else, seek out really good, robust training and make sure you're doing the right thing by your patient. Yeah. Excellent. Super. Thank you, Brooke. This is a delight. Thanks for having me. Schedule this time and sit down and you could like expand my mind and (laughs) hope so. Some really good research. There's a lot of good stuff out there and there's more coming, I'm sure. Great. And um, in our show notes, I'm sure we will link to your website as well. So if people want to learn more about you and your courses and um, learning from you directly as well, that will be in our show notes. You can go ahead and tell people where can they go right now if they're in front of a computer and they're like, let me find this woman. Where is she? (laughs) (laughs) Probably flying around somewhere. But my website (laughs) is... (laughs) brookrichardsonslp.com and it's brook with an e on the end um i'm also on facebook i'm not super great at posting stuff but you can find me on facebook um i have a respiratory muscle training group and i have a group uh, med speech 102 because my other huge passion is looking at the whole big medical picture when we're looking at a person and really zooming out. It's not just the pharynx and the larynx. It's everything. Those kidneys can (laughs) really affect your swallowing and your cognition. It's amazing. Um, What? Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So so I'm Facebook or Brooke Richardson, SLP.com. Okay, good. Also, like what I'm hearing is um, our second episode, the kidneys <laughs> and swallowing. <laughs> oh, geez, that's a major rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thanks again so much. Thank you. If you want to keep earning CEUs for listening to your favorite podcast, then use my coupon code SUP, that's S-U-P, at speechtherapypd.com for $10 off a year's subscription. You can earn countless hours of podcast and video CEUs for only $79 a year through speechtherapypd.com. You know December is coming and you've got to get your CEUs in before the end of the year. So sign up now for the lowest price point for audio and video CEUs available on the market. If you're feeling fancy, you can get $10 off the premium subscription, which drops it down to $179 for the year. And that's access to every single thing, all the content that's on speechtherapypd.com. And there's some quality stuff on there, you guys. So go check it out and don't miss this deal. Remember, coupon code SUP for a year's worth of CEUs for 79 bucks. (laughs) 
Thanks again to Brooke for condensing a seven and a half hour course into a 50 minute discussion. Obviously there is so much more that we can talk about. So check out her resources in the show notes on speechuncensored.com so that you can keep learning and thriving. Next Monday is Labor Day here in the U.S., so the Speech Uncensored podcast is on vacation and will return on September 9th with Megan Sutton from Tactus Therapy. Megan specializes in all things aphasia and has created some incredible apps for people with aphasia to strengthen their expressive and receptive language skills. She also has some apps um, for the clinicians, for you and me, and we're going to be talking about those and discussing them and how she built them and what they're for and what's the evidence behind them. Um, Megan does an excellent job of diving into those evidence-based treatments that she's cultivated to use in these apps, and they support each of the activities within the Tactus Therapy apps. Um, Next, I'd like to thank the listeners in Singapore, Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, Johannesburg, South Africa, and Mumbai, India for tuning in. I'm so glad you're here, and please forgive me if I mispronounced your city. (laughs) Be sure that you're subscribed to the podcast, and please leave a review on iTunes to let other listeners know what they're missing out on. I want you guys to get out there and nourish your brain so that your practice can flourish. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.